This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the MarketScale Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And today we're joined by Karen Webb. She's the Director of Program Development and Planning for WRAAA, which stands for the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging. And Karen is joining us to give some insight on a difficult topic in the healthcare industry, one that doesn't often get the limelight, but is essential uh, for often an underserved part of our community that is uh, elder Americans and what we're going to be chatting about specifically is funding for those services and some of the challenges that come with that and how the community can kind of rally and assist in supporting that funding initiative. Karen great to have you on the podcast how are you doing today? I'm doing well thanks for having me. Absolutely Uh, Karen you know I know you've been in the elder care field for 20 plus years what would you say is the most rewarding part of this side of the industry that keeps you coming back? Knowing that um, we are helping seniors stay in the community, which is usually their choice to stay in the community, to actually age in their homes and receive services there. So knowing that we're doing work to allow people to accomplish that is is very rewarding. And obviously that kind of work takes money. And it does. That's yeah, that's where we're going to be focusing our conversation today. Mm -hmm. So Compared to other sides of the healthcare industry and even other sides of the elder care industry, what extra challenges do um, area agencies on aging face when it comes to funding? Um, well, our funding is very important, especially for my division through the Older Americans Act. We're trying to help seniors in the community um, and some of our target demographics for the Older Americans Act are low-income minority seniors who live in rural areas even. So to reach those populations, um, we need funding and providers in the community to offer those services to um, people, especially in those demographics. Do you feel like this side of the industry faces more specific funding challenges than other sides of the healthcare industry? Yes, um, and particularly the Older Americans Act, we have not had an increase in funds in several years. So as more older Americans become older and need more services, our funding has not increased with the, the number of growing older Americans. So we've had flat funding, but people are continuing to get become 60 and over every day. So what is keeping that funding pretty stagnant? Um, I, I'm guessing people realize that the average um, age for uh, your American is increasing. You know, people are living longer. They're they're more conscious of how they're eating, how they're exercising, how they're living, and also just technology is helping keep people around longer. Um, and that obviously affects you. It's not like it's something that's happening in the shadows. So why do you think the funding is staying stagnant? 
That is an excellent question. And that's why we have, or we try to do a lot of advocacy around increased funding through the Older Americans Act for more federal dollars and even at the local level to ask for more state dollars as well. We also receive uh, funding through the Senior Community Services Block Grant. So our agency has done a lot of work in trying to talk to our local legislators to try and increase that funding. I mean, it sounds like compared to other sides of the healthcare industry, this side requires a lot of interpersonal communication and really like as much as it is a, a service for your um, your patients and for your elder community, it's also a position where you are in constant communication with um, governmental bodies and it really it's, um, it's, it's like a fundraising position as much as, as it is a care position. It is. It is. Um, And luckily on our staff, we have a a department that does advocacy for our agency. So that's helpful. So how does unpredictable funding affect professionals in the industry? So people that work in other um, area agencies uh, for aging, um, as well as just other sides of the elder care industry. Is it often demoralizing? Is it difficult to retain those professionals because of unpredictable funding? Give me that insight. Yes. Um, we hear from our providers that we fund through the various programs that they're often working with very small staff. Um, so we have people who are working extremely hard and burning out because they're trying to do so much because we have such limited dollars. And I'm sure that doesn't, you know, help with the care itself. If they're stretched too thin, then the quality of the care decreases as well. Yes, that's a possibility. And we hope yeah. that that doesn't happen. Um, right. Because one of the things that my department also does is we go out and we monitor against the rules and regulations. So, Um, we try to make sure that people are keeping up with the rules and regulations and delivering the services as they are supposed to. But I will say um, we do have a lot of caring people out there in the community who are doing their best to provide the best service possible to our seniors. Though, you know, sometimes you can only do so much, right? You do need that extra funding. You do need more staff on hand. Um, How do you try to uh, educate other medical professionals um, or other other people that might be able to contribute to this industry to to join and to do their part when you know you're also struggling um, sometimes with funding and you don't always have as many dollars as you wish you did. Um, we do try to have good partnerships with our local hospitals um, in our area and even county board of um, of health. Um, so we try to partner with them so that they know what services we're offering and to see if there's any assistance that they can provide as well. So what services for the elderly are often most at risk when funding is tight? Well, nutrition is always on the forefront. Um, People need a meal. Um, That is probably one of the biggest services that we fund through the Older Americans Act. Um, We generally produce about 4,000 to 4,500 meals per day. Um, So if that program becomes at risk, that's a lot of people that we would not be able to feed. Right, exactly. And I mean, that has a domino effect as well. Well, What are some other aspects of um, the kind of services you provide that, you know, maybe aren't 
as crucial as <laughs> feeding people, um, but uh, you know, still provide social support or emotional support for um, these uh, elder patients that are often maybe more at risk of being cut because funding is tight, right? Because I think I think when there's a lack of funding, the first thing that you're going to cut isn't going to be the food. That is is kind of the, the core. I think there are some of those tangential services that are still important, but are more at risk of being slashed early when uh, funding is tight. So what are some of those services that you would really be remiss to see go away? Mm, and that's a hard question because... I think a lot of our services that we are currently funding, like transportation in addition to meals, um, um, the adult day programs, um, all of those programs are so important that that would really put us at a disadvantage if we really had to make those hard decisions and try to decide which programs we would not, we would no longer be able to fund because of funding cuts. That would be extremely difficult. And then programs like Adult Day, um, those programs also offer respite to the caregiver. So in addition to the loved one going to the Adult Day program, receiving the benefits and services offered, it also gives that caregiver a break. So it would just really, that was a really hard question for me. If I had to really make that decision, I hope I never have to. So this challenge for elder care funding, do you think it's recognized among the healthcare community and do you feel solidarity from professionals outside of healthcare? Do you think there's enough education for, you know, the rest of the community that their partners in this endeavor um, on your end of the spectrum often struggle with funding? Uh, so why or why not? I think there is a lot of education that's needed. I don't think a lot of people know and or understand, in particularly my division of the Older Americans Act. Um, people generally don't even know about it until they need it. And even then, they don't fully understand. All they know is that um, I'm receiving a meal um, I'm going to an adult day program, I'm receiving transportation, and they don't really understand how that's being paid for, even if it's being offered free to them. Um, so we do try to do advocacy around that and educate people in the community about how important these funds are, um, but I think a lot, a lot of education is still needed. And then for the professionals themselves, outside of this side of the industry, you know, your, um, your primary care physicians, your surgeons, I mean, your, your med tech providers, uh, everyone in between, do you feel like they fully understand this side of the industry? Um, and do you feel like they are looking for ways to provide services or help to assist in this side of the industry? Or do you feel like it's become pretty segmented? I think it's become probably more segmented. Um, I think there's a lot of education in that area as well. I think people generally know more of the Medicaid side of things, like the passport program and the managed care organizations. But for my division with the Older Americans Act, I think that people probably don't know that much about it. Which I'm sure can be difficult when 
funding is tight and you know you are looking for encouragement or at least understanding from other people within the industry and you know you don't really get it um how do you and other people within WRAAA try to assist other local medical professionals um or at least educate them on some of your struggles and how do you try to integrate them into the services you provide to hopefully alleviate some of those funding issues Actually, I think that's the area where the area agency or our AAA can do some um, education to start establishing relationships with our medical professionals um, in the community. We have some relationships, but um, I think that's the area where we can definitely reach out more um, and especially know more about the Older Americans Act to actually share with them what our needs are with that part. So I think to wrap things up, it's important to understand how the services that you provide impact the rest of the medical community. Um, You know, since WRAAA is basically tasked with being that on the ground support for the Older Americans Act and letting uh, elder Americans stay in their homes and give them a an unparalleled kind of service that lets them remain in their community, if the services that you provide go away, what kind of impact would the rest of the healthcare industry see? Um, you know, if just from the top of my head, I'm thinking you're going to see more, um, you know, more older Americans staying in um, in facilities. You know, they're probably going to see more uh, older Americans having to go to the hospital because there's less care uh, associated with their day-to-day life, um, and it's going to have that trickle-down effect. So give me kind of the, give me an overview of what it would look like if the services you provide disappear or at least get get pushed down to, you know, even more simplistic versions of where they are now and why that would be an issue for the rest of the medical community. Yes, I think you are right on target. Um, if we were no longer able to offer the services and fund the services that we are currently funding in the in the community, um, I think we will see an increase of people going into institutions as well as more hospital visits and stays. Because um, these programs are definitely assisting people to stay in the community and in their homes. And if we are no longer able to provide these types of services, I think that an increase in institutionalization will be the only way or will be where most people will end up. Which then, you know, probably increases the amount of work that other uh, medical professionals are going to have to do in their day-to-day, and then they're going to feel the pains of being overworked and stretched too thin, and, you know, it all it all correlates. So I think that's why it's so important for your agency and other agencies that focus on particularly um, elder care to you know, try to educate the rest of the community on why what you do is so important and how they can assist and alleviate some of those funding issues um, or you know at least show solidarity even if they can't do anything directly at least understand your struggles and and help be there while you are having those conversations with federal and local governments for the for the funding dollars. Um, because without what you do, everyone else is going to feel that pain. Absolutely. You have recapped that exactly correct. 
All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really enjoyed chatting with you and getting some more insight around the funding issues that affect WRAAA and the elder care community. Uh, you know, hopefully this stagnation of funding disappears soon. Um, it seems like there are a lot of conversations around the corner. What would you say is one of the biggest upcoming events or conversations that you and your team hope to have to help bring that funding up to the next level? Um, hopefully we can just have more meetings with our local legislators and get out in the forefront and let them know what our struggles are and see if there's any assistance that they can provide to us. Love it. Well, I wish you the best of luck and looking forward to chatting again in the future. Once you do get those dollars, we'll put the positive thoughts in the air. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.